This podcast contains spoilers, explicit language, and is not meant for anyone younger than 13. Do not harass any of the names mentioned in this episode. Hey everyone, how's it going? Welcome back to John vs. Film. Apologies ahead of time if you hear some background noise. My water heater is making noises. It it tends to do that, but this one's just this time it's just kind of being more continuous, I guess. Um, yeah, there's not much I can do about it. I kind of just have to let it do its thing. Uh, it's probably because you know it's winter right now, and it's pretty. It's a pretty cold day, but. Anyways, for the next Lupin the Third movie I'm talking about, it's the one out of the four that I selected that didn't air in theaters. Instead, it's a TV movie. Now, here in the States, it's called Lupin the Third Island of Assassins, but its Japanese title is more is closer to being called In Memory of the Walter P-38. But I think in this case, the English title is more accurate to the movie's description, Island of Assassins, because the synopsis of the movie is essentially Lupin kind of gets like a frame to... Essentially what happens, Lupin is framed for shooting Zenigata, and what happens is Lupin investigates, you know, who used the Walter P-38. It was someone from his past. And he go, and his discovery leads him to an island full of assassins where he gets roped into, you know, this plot to steal gold from the island. To have the people escape from the island. It, it's a very interesting movie. I, I gotta work on my synopsis. I probably should start writing a little summary ahead of time. And my own summary, not just me writing off of like IMDb or the wiki or something like that. But yeah, it's a pretty fun movie. And of course, like how we do things, you know, in this podcast, I talk about the things I like first and then I go to my dislikes and criticisms. What's going to be different about this episode and the next episode is that, well, I'm not going to be able to do John versus Critics. And the reason why is I'm getting into the more niche, you know, Lupin movies with Island of Assassins. And next week will be the, well, I don't want to spoil that until the, you know, outro, I guess. But yeah, it, it was easier to do John versus Critics when... It came to like the more mainstream media because you get more. You obviously get more opinions. You get more people watching it. But with these more niche titles, you know, with a lot of these Lupin the Third movies, that's not going to happen. You're going to get very little reviews as is. So finding a really bad faith negative, you know, review that's that's just not going to happen with these more niche titles. So, no John vs. Critics, so we're just doing my thoughts. So, anyway, let's start off with what I like about this movie. 
And of course, spoilers, but obviously you must have heard the disclaimer or you skipped past it. But yeah, that that's your only other warning. <laughs> so anyway, my first point I wrote down is that I really like the opening overall, not just the opening credits, but the cold open before the opening credits, as well as like the theme song. Like it's the movie's take on the Lupin the Third theme song in this sentence. Well, let me start off with the op- the movie starts with Anigata hosting a party and Lupin supposedly sends an invitation, but the problem is Lupin didn't send it. You know, he didn't send that notice that he was arriving, so Lupin actually goes in to investigate to see what happens and before you know it, a bunch of ninja assassins they come crashing in start killing everybody but i mean it was after zeny got a chase lupin for a little bit of course i mean that's that's how it goes you know zeny got a chase lupin exactly but anyway even after the assassins crash in lupin you know tries to run runs and he got chases then it gets to a point in the courtyard, I believe, of this pretty nice house. I don't know where it's being found. You know, where it actually is. I don't think it's Zenigata's house. But anyway, Zenigata manages to catch up to Lupin, put, points a gun at him. And Lupin mentions, like, hey, do you think this is all weird? The fake, you know notice and the assassins kind of just showing up so then the guy's like look my goal is to arrest you first figure out this later and before we know it they actually shoot zenigata like legitimately they shoot like uh one of the assassins that was there had you know pretty much identical you know the same type of gun Lupin uses the Walter P38. And Lupin notices it. So what happens? Yeah, Zenigata is shot and he uh, you know, falls on the floor. Bunch of cops shows up. They see Lupin with Zenigata's you know, unanimated movie, like a uh, body. And Lupin pushes through the cops and actually goes and chases the assassins. And that's when we get to the opening credits. You know, and first, let me just say, the movie had some guts actually shooting Zenigata like that. Like, to the extent of, like, oh, shit. Oh, shit. This this movie ain't taking any, pun- you know, punches at the beginning. I'll, I'll get to it later. But, uh, but yeah, anyway, just that it sets up a great hook. First of all, you know, the mystery of who the heck has a Walter Pre 38 and is framing Lupin. And second, you know, why shoots Zenigata? You know, it leaves so many questions that you want answers immediately. And then we get to the opening credits, which is a chase scene with Lupin being, you know, chasing the assassins. You know, and also I got, this is going to be like a little tiny bonus. Like, but the animation's really great in this movie, even for like a TV movie. It's really great. There's a lot of like dynamic, fluid animation going with the characters you know making some really nice action set pieces so but anyway the theme song you know this version of you know Lupin the third 
theme song. Uh, it sounds similar to the acapella versions of the Super Mario Brothers theme song used in Super Mario Sunshine. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I got like it because you know here it's you hear a choir, you know, a tiny choir of people just going do 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 over the instruments, and that's just really cool. You know, it, it's man. Uh, hang on, let me look up the. I I don't want butcher's name. You know the composer. He pretty much has done all the Lupin the Third. You know, like all the Lupin the Third movies, posts and Lupin the Third shows, post. You know, part two. Uh, Yuji Ono. Okay, I I should know this. Sorry about that. I had to look that up real quick. Yeah, Yuji Ono. Just how many variations he can do on his own iconic theme is really great. And there's another version I'm going to talk about a little later on. You know, it'll be my my last point of the likes. But yeah, anyway, the opening and all that, fantastic. Love it. It gave, it got me hooked. Anyway, my second point is well, see, Lupin the Third is kind of like a series that's that can't really change the status quo per se. Not significantly. Like you'll never see Zenigata become a professional thief and quit the I you know, Interpol for good, you know. Maybe for like movie he will temporarily but he'll always come back. You know, it's just Lupin as a Lupin the third the series always has to have Zenigata be the cop, you know, chasing Lupin and the gang. You know, it's it's that type of series, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that. But what's great about this is that we all kind of know, you know, if you're a Lupin the Third fan, you know they wouldn't actually kill Zenigata. But what happens is that Zenigata's in a coma in a hospital bed. They're talking that it's a miracle he's lasted this long, but he's not going to make it. And then, you know, the heart monitor, it goes, you know, it just, you know, goes to zero. It goes that beep. You know, and we think Zenigata's dead. And then the Interpol director, he's like, yep, looks like we'll have to. Don't worry, Zenigata. We'll catch Lupin for you. And the mention of Lupin <laughs> revives Zenigata. And it, and it became a meme on the internet recently, or at least a tiny moment. It's reminiscent to that Squidward Awake meme. But yeah, anyway, somehow Zenigata, his lifeless body, he hears it and he just wakes up and says, Lopez! <laughs> Starts attacking the doctor, trying to unmask him. You know, that revives Zenigata. It's a really great, funny scene. I, there. I don't want to say too much about it. I already spoiled the scene, but anyway, I just really mentioned, I thought that was a really funny way to bring back Zenigata. I think it was very in line with the character. Uh, my next point is that the antagonist or the antagonist organization, the, it's called, they're the assassins, you know, the group, the assassination, you know, the assassin organization, they're known as Tarantula. 
And I really like this group of assassins, these group of villains. Because, okay, maybe it's because I've been getting into Kamen Rider recently, getting back into it with the original series. They feel very much like a shocker organization. Just this evil underground, you know, organization that, you know, influences history. And they also have, and there's like some, and they're not all just kind of like the same characters. You know, there's like, sure, you got a bunch of like no name assassins, but then you got, you know, some assassins, you know, who just, you know, seem superhuman, well, to the extent of the Loop in the Third, you know, franchise, but they got their own gimmick, their own designs, they're very unique, you know, they stand out like you got this bomber, you know, who's named Bomber. But he can, like, really, you know, put bombs on you really fast. And you got this guy who really likes knives and killing. But he's, like, he has this long, white, Sephiroth-like hair. But he's, like, super hunched over as well. And then you got this big guy who just likes to carry a machine gun around him. And uses that, you know, very unique, you know, designs. And then you got the organization's leader... Gordo, I, I I think that, yeah, Gordo, who's just this, like, he has this robot arm. He's kind of like Dr. Claw in that sense from uh, Inspector Gadget. But his hand kind of turns into the the metal claw hand you would see in, like, Enter the Dragon, the Bruce Lee film. And, you know, and he's, like, Super Saiyan fast. <laughs> I, I say that, like, literally, they do that, you know, you know, he moves, you know, fast for, they do the lines, you know, you can't see him, and then you fling an instant, yeah, and I'll just, quick bonus, like, real quick, the action's very great in this movie, I was entertained throughout when there was an action scene, very dynamic, and, it, again, just really cool, but, yeah, and also they, the organization, what makes them interesting is that they're, sort of prisoners on this island as well since they have to breathe in this gas in order to keep the poison that's in their body you know stable so anyway all the assassins here they have this little tattoo spider like tarantula on mostly their hand except for the boss he has on his like forehead he's he's bald but he has a big ass tarantula tattoo but anyway, they have to breathe the sulfuric acid or the gases that are being created on this island naturally or to keep, you know, to be alive. Because if they're away from the island for too long, the tarantula mark will turn red and they'll die. You know, they need to keep breathing the gas. But another thing, though, is that like, and it's not even too long, I should say that. They need to just constantly be breathing the gas. Uh, when they go out on their missions, they wear, they wear gas masks that give them 24 hours supply of the gas that they need to breathe. It's very interesting, and that's part of the reason why it feels sort of like Shocker as well. Because a lot of, like, the goons, you know, they'll die if they get caught or something, you know, or that, you know. So, yeah, I really like the villains. And, 
Of course, being a movie post Castle Cagliostro, it goes through the Castle Cagliostro formula. So we got to have this movie's film protagonist. And that's my next point of why I like. I really like Ellen. I'm pretty sure that's how her name. Yep, Ellen. I really love the character Ellen. She is definitely one of the more interesting you know, female protagonists in the Lupin the Third movies. Because she's not a damsel distress, she's one of the assassins, but who, but she's one of like the assassins like on the stuck on the island that you know doesn't want to kill anymore or really hates killing. We see that you know hesitation in the opening. She was there for you know that you know hit on Zenigata, but yeah, what happens? You know. We find more, find out more about her, about her brother, you know, and why she's on the island. Because the island is full of, you know, killers. Duh, they're an island of assassins. But, you know, again, there are also, you know, a lot of them were like former prisoners that are like serving like life sentences for their crimes. She, though, and her little brother... They were actually sold to the island when they were kids and they were trained from young age to be assassins. She hasn't essentially, she, you know, the island, like I said before, is a prison and her goal is that she wants freedom. Oh, I don't. This is going to be the one point of the movie I really don't want to. Well, do I want to spoil? Yeah, I'll spoil because, again, I did say spoilers, but. Keep in mind, uh, spoilers again. If you, if what I've said before intrigues you about this movie, go watch it. Go try to find a Blu-ray copy or some, or maybe it's on YouTube, you know, to rent or something. I don't know. But anyway, this is gonna be super serious spoiler territory starting now. So we find out that her brother, you know, well, early on we find out her brother died. But we find out the reason why was that he was killed and was forced to change. So another thing that's keeping the people on the island is this satellite in space that fires a laser, you know, on a unidentified, you know, like vehicles going to the island. You know, and I'll, but yeah, the brother was also, you know, part of this plan to get off the island and he wrote you know a code to destroy the satellite what happens is that you know the brother was forced to change to, to delay the self-destruction to an hour by the real villain of this movie who but and then gets you know killed and we also find out that during the attempt of the, sorry, that's my cat who wants to use the litter box right now. But anyway, you know, during the movie, there's an escape attempt from the island. And there's a big bow on the boat that they're using. But because the satellite was delayed to self-destruct, it still fires a laser on the ship, killing most of the new characters established. But yeah, and. Anyway, she 
goes and confronts the real villain of the movie. And what happens? You know, there's a fight on, uh, you know, uh, Hindenburg. <laughs> a blimp. Sorry, I, I, I lost the word blimp for a second. <laughs> but, yeah, I know. I, I'm not really telling this movie very well. But anyway, Lupin and the real villain, they have a fight in the blimp. And as they're about to go for a gun, you know, Ellen gets shot. Lupin is holding, you know, holding on for, you know, onto him. But Lupin's about to shoot the villain, but the villain's like, uh-uh, I got the real antidote right here. Are you going to really shoot me? And then Ellen, she, like, grabs, you know, while Lupin's holding the gun, she also, you know, goes, reaches for the trigger. And they're both, you know, holding the gun towards the villain and the villain's like uh what you doing hey guys hey and then she shoots him and the gold you know and then essentially what else happened is that the, the gold the real gold is on the blimp and it actually falls off the axle i'm describing this movie horribly i am so sorry uh but yeah, I'll just get to the point. She kills him. But as they are going back to the island, because they still need to cock up uh, Antidote, you know, Lupin is trying to reassure, you know, hey, you're going to make it. You're gonna... But Ellen's like, no, I, I know my body too well to know what's happening. But earlier in the movie, when they were doing the plan, you know, going to plan to destroy the satellite, Lupin and Ellen, they you know, breathe in the fresh air after taking the antidote and they, the fake antidote, which they thought was the real one. Yeah, they, I'll get to it a little bit. That'll be my next point. But there's this great scene where they're looking over the mountains, you know, and the valleys, you know, and she was breathing the fresh air. But anyway, the reason I'm bringing that up is that before she dies, she tells that, you know, Lupin that she was able to taste freedom. You know, for one last time, you know, she felt free at that one moment. You know, it, it was a tragic story, but it's really well done. She's definitely my favorite, you know, female protagonist in a Lupin film so far. One of them. And finally, we got a twist villain. That, But it's in the I like your category because I felt the twist was really well done. So, anyway, to set it up, we got, you know, this doctor who's helping the group of assassins who don't want to, you know, kill anymore and get off the island. And he tell, you know, he gets Lupin to rope in, you know, to steal the formula, essentially, for the poison so the doctor can work on the antidote. But, anyway... What happens is the doctor that made the antidote, and he tested it on himself, and it's like, haha, it works. See, despite the tarantula's gone, you know, he actually gives uh, the rest of the characters who want to leave, including Lupin, who, you know, during the movie, he gets, you know, the tarantula mark and gets poisoned. He. Ends up, you know, the doctor gives them, you know, 
essentially a fake antidote that doesn't, you know, that only may makes the spider disappear until time time runs out and it turns red, you know, and you start to, you know, need need to rely on the gas. But yeah, it turns out it, it was his like a whole master plan to steal the gold off the island and destroy the group of assassins in turn. Yeah, he turns out to be this real like throughout the movie we think you know he's you know a doctor who's just reluctantly there, but it turns out no, he's a bloodless killer who and he's also the one that shot Zenigata with the Walter P thirty eight. We find out that Lupin and him have a history. He was Lupin's first partner and he also backstabbed Lupin. Uh, the villain, he's changed his face since Lupin, you know, first interacted with him, so Lupin didn't recognize him, but he figured it out when, like, the movie does leave a little bit of clues, you know, to kind of just signal that, you know, that Doc is, like, uh, more than he seems, at least. It was a good twist that only you would see coming when the antidote didn't work. You know? And that was like, that happened later in the movie. So it was a really well done twist. And having him be like the real antagonist to the movie was really great. Like, as much as I like Gordo's OP freaking fighting, yeah, the doc, he, he was great. But anyway... We're now on to what I dislike about the movie, or what my criticisms. So, going back to the revival, Zenigata's revival. Even though I mentioned I love the revival, I do have a problem. It happens way too early in the movie. And when I mean way too early, I mean it's pretty much right after the opening credits. If maybe a little bit after the opening credits, essentially it makes it very early on, tells you, oh, Zenigata's fine. Yep, he's recovered. Oh, and, you know, and yeah, it's just like, it kind of leaves, you know, the tension, you know, of Zenig, like, after the opening of them shooting Zenigata, the tension of, will Zenigata make it or whatever, completely wastes that you know potential like you could have had it where Zenigata was on life support throughout a lot of the movie you know or something like that and you would make the question you know like audience wonder is he going to be okay hope you know I want to root Lupin to stop the villains but you know, no, that doesn't happen, and they pretty much say, like, oh, well, Zenigata's okay. So it, it felt kind of like a wasted potential. And I'm gonna jump to another point, not the next point I've written down, but it's something I wrote down later, is that after, Zen you know, my next point is that Zenigata doesn't have much to do after his revival. He's just there for a couple of gag scenes, but yeah, it's like, you know, of just him saying, I want to capture Lupin, but I can't. And he also keeps breaking his leg, you know, 
I'll, I'll get to a little bit more later uh, in my next point as to why that keeps happening. But yeah, he wants to go after Lupin and the Island of Assassins, but because he's still recovering, Interpol won't let him. And yeah, he's just been thrown into a couple of gag scenes sprinkled out throughout the movie, and it just feels that Zenigata doesn't have much to do since his revival. So it goes back to the, yeah, you kind of wasted that potential of Zenigata being shoot even more because now you revived him, but you're not doing anything with him. You know? And yeah, you can't really have a Lupin movie without Zenigata, but at the same time, I'd rather have you know, Zenigata be unconscious throughout most of the movie instead of Zenigata just being there and not having anything to do. And as kind of a segment at this point, you know, Lupin's gang, uh, Fujiko, Jigen, Goemon, they also don't have too much... They don't have a lot to do as well. I, I will say that they have... They do more in the movie than Zenigata does, and they actually have some significance to the plot. But overall, they they just feel very minor in the grand scheme of things. Like, on one hand, yeah, it's nice that it's a very Lupin, you know, centric movie, and has you know, and it also focuses a bit more on the new characters. But at the same same time, the Lupin gang are great characters, and they feel kind of just wasted when they're not. You know, in the spotlight, honestly. You know, when they're not really doing that much in the movie. Just minor things. But, like I said, they do have their, you know, impacts on the plot. But, like, they're just very minor roles. I wish they had a bit more to do in the movie. I, I will say, Jigen, out of all of them, had more to do. But that was mostly in the beginning. Uh... Then I'm going to get jump on to this, you know, one point that uh, going back to the whole revival, Zenigata doesn't have much to do, is that Zenigata gets a new partner, you know, in the movie. Uh, I'm just going to call him no name. Yeah, no name. Reason why is because he's forgettable. He's just that kind of. In, I, you know, go lucky kind of just young, you know, blood detective who doesn't, you know, who hasn't had that much experience, but he's his goal is to pretty much keep an eye on Zenigata and make sure Zenigata doesn't hurt himself. But anyway, every time the partner does help, you know, Zenigata. What happens is that Zenigata tries to go downstairs, he falls, taking the partner with him, and No Name ends up falling on Zenigata's legs and it's like severely breaking his leg. Like first time he breaks one leg, and then he you know, second time it happens, he breaks the other leg, so getting Zenigata bed written. They are humorous scenes, but I my guess with the partner is that we know he's not going to show up at a later Lupin entry. He 
you know, out of the partners that Zenigata gets throughout the series, he's very forgettable. I, I don't even want to bother remembering his name. Like, he's not a bad character per se. He's just forgettable. I There was no point to him, you know, other than to just help, you know, to stop Zenigata from pursuing Lupin. Or what was going on with the island. He did not have anything to do with the movie. But yeah, uh, so I guess all those three points kind of all correlate with the whole Zenigata reviving too early. <laughs> Except for the, you know, the gang kind of doesn't like the rest of the game. But uh, some similar to the whole wasted potential part is that throughout most of the movie, I would like to say, the movie gets sidetracked on trying to steal the gold that's on the Island of Assassins and trying to help these, you know, the assassins who don't want to kill anymore escape the island. You know, it gets focused on that plot, but by doing so, it ignores the initial mystery, the initial hook as to why we're hooked, you know, the whole... Who has the Walter P. 38? What's Lupin's connection to it? You know, it's sprinkled. I mean, sprinkled. Very, I, I put an emphasis on sprinkle as in it's very light sprinkle. So, you know, sprinkles, you know, just little mentions as to why Lupin's there. But yeah, the movie kind of takes, you know, ignores that until the end, essentially, and focuses mostly on that plot. I felt like, okay... You got me hooked, but you're not doing anything with that hook right now. What's going on? It feels, you know, you're not. Like, I was kind of just sitting, you know, sitting watching a movie. I'm just like, okay, but, our, you know, this is, this stuff is cool. I, mind you, I really like this gold pot, you know, stealing from the island. I like trying to save these assassins. But I don't. But what about the Walter P. 38? And I think it's more annoying is that the movie and like the Japanese title is called In Memory of the Walter P. Walter P. 38. And it's like, guys, what are you doing? The movie is literally called, you know, has the title Walter P. 38. And you are you are ignoring the Walter P. 38 throughout most of the movie until the very end, like the you know last act it just yeah they could have done more with that and finally um i'm just gonna mention uh i wrote this note before the twist was revealed but gordo absence you know kind of in the middle of the movie yeah he kind of like disappears and you know in the middle of the movie, which was kind of disappointing because, you know, we got to demonstrate his badass skills and just kind of as like his very, you know, intimidating presence. His, like, he's a just pleasantly, you know, evil villain, but we didn't get much of him. I, I guess my final complaint this is going to be the minor one. I already got my bigger criticisms out of the way but yeah the minor one is that i wish we got to see more of him and that more that one i will get grant is more of a subjective one but 
Yeah, um, overall though, overall, I did enjoy this movie. It's, I haven't seen all the Lupin the Third movies, mind you, but out of the ones I've seen, I will say this is one of the better ones I've seen. I really enjoyed this. Not the best one. I don't think it compares to, say, Castle of Cagliostro or Lupin the Third the First, but... For the TV movies, it's definitely up there with one of my favorites. You know, I wouldn't, maybe not my favorites, but it does, um, it does, you know, it, it's up there. I'll just say that. I, I like what it does. It's just, you know, some of the shortcomings of the movie doesn't work out. And by the way, real quick, I forgot to mention this on my last, you know, during the twist of villain point of my likes, I, I just got mentioned this real quick. Uh, I um, earlier in the podcast, I or this episode, I mentioned you know there's another take of Lupin the Third scene other than the do 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 do. It, it's like uh, when the twist villain is revealed because of his connection to the villain. What Yuji Ono does, he does this like sort of what. Um, hang on, let me look him up real quick. Um, sure. yeah, Shiro Sagusa, he does in the Neon Genesis Evangelion soundtrack, which, I, for the record, I really love Shiro, Sa- Shiro Sagusa's, you know, work. You know, in general, he's a re- really great composer, but yeah, he composes the Evangelion soundtrack, but you know, he has you know, like for example, Shiro Sagusa in Neon Genesis Evangelion, he has you know, like the more heroic, you know, like or the. You know, decisive battle, you know. Do, 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 do. But then, you know, I guess I'm going into Evangelion spoilers right now, but I won't really spoil too much until I start talking about Evangelion, which will happen. But anyway, there's this, you know, great piece soundtrack, but it's the decisive battle, but it's more slower. And it's da, 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 da. And it's like it twists that heroic theme into something more ominous, and that's what happens here with the Lupin theme, where it slows down and becomes da 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 da. You know, I really love that you know twist on the Lupin theme. But anyway, uh, those were my overthoughts and my really one quick last bonus like that I threw in. But yeah, I, I out of you know, the movies I've seen, I I like this a lot. So anyway, that's it for this episode. Um, make sure if you're watching on YouTube, like and subscribe, comment as well. Always appreciated. If you're listening on you know, the podcast, give it a review, a rating, whatever. 
Let me know what I'm doing right, what I'm doing wrong. You can listen to this podcast on YouTube, Spotify, Podbean, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. And make sure to follow me on my social medias. You know, there are links in the description and the show notes. And that's it for this episode. Thank you all for listening. And I hope to see you guys next week. Have a fantastic day. <laughs>